Levin is kind of like the author of Hebrews, who's who of the Hebrew Bible. Remember, the Hebrew Bible is just the Christian Old Testament. And so, basically, this whole chapter is the author of Hebrews' own interpretation of uh, what I call the Old Testament Hall of Fame. Uh, in this chapter, the author begins with this beautiful definition of faith. If we can throw up that, uh, that passage from Hebrews 11.1. 1. He says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then the author tells us the story of all of these people of this faith. He tells us of Abel, a man who brought this humble offering to God and in return was killed, killed by his own brother Cain. The author tells us of Enoch, this person who in Genesis uh, 5, it reads, uh, Enoch walked with God and he was no more, for God took him. It was thought that maybe Enoch entered heaven uh, while alive. The author tells us of Noah. Uh, you all remember, hopefully, the story of Noah when God looked down on the world and saw that the world was, quote, only evil. He found favor with Noah and then used Noah to build this giant boat and save all of the two animals. And you know how the story goes. And then he, tells, uh, uh, he or she tells, of course, of the story of Abraham the father of God's chosen people through whom many nations would be blessed. And then the author gets to the story of Moses. And I find the content of Moses' story, this retelling, to be pretty interesting. The author of Hebrews tells the major narrative points of Moses' story, for the most part. Remember, Moses floats down the river as a child. He's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. He lived a double life, both as a Hebrew and as Egyptian in the high Egyptian courts. When he was done with that life, he left Egypt. On his way out, he kept the first Passover, and then he parted the Red Sea, and the rest of Pharaoh's army was obliterated in that sea. Yeah, it's like kind of a good Sunday school synopsis of Moses' life. But a lot of the major events in Moses' life are not touched on also. The author of Hebrews skips some major important points on the plot line. What of the burning bush experience that we read about just a few weeks ago? What about that time Moses killed that Egyptian, and that's why he ran away in the first place? What about the 40 years that Moses wandered in the wilderness? What about his receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai? What about... Uh, when he passed the torch to Joshua, because he couldn't enter the promised land, but Joshua and the rest of God's chosen people could. What about the people in Moses' life? His wife, Sephora. Katie, I promise, if I ever write a book, you'll at least get like a cameo or something. <laughs> what about his father-in-law, Jethro, or his brother, Aaron, or like literally anyone else that Moses encountered along his way and his journey? The silence of the archive is telling. And here I invite you to stop, to think for just a second. If you were to write your own autobiography, who or what would you include and exclude in your story? And why? For the author of Hebrews, what is excluded from the story when he's retelling Moses' story helps us determine uh, how to interpret what is included. And so we get kind of a hint with this repetition of faith. 
uh, by the phrase, by faith. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, this happened to Moses. By faith, Moses persevered as though he saw the face of the one who is invisible. I think what we learn from the author of Hebrews about the box that is his story and retelling of Moses is that the reference point is not Moses. Even though he is telling a story of Moses, this repetition of the phrase by faith tells us that the story isn't just about Moses' life. For the author of Hebrews, the box, the reference point, the theme on which all stories hinge and on which all stories hang is none other than Jesus the Christ. For what it's worth, this is a theme that runs all throughout the book of Hebrews. Go home later on, right before that football game, when you get to eat all the food and everything, you should have some downtime or while your cookies are baking. And read the book of Hebrews and look for this theme. There's this theme that I call God's eternal rest running throughout. And I'm not talking about like a pre-Super uh, Bowl power nap, but I mean <laughs> finding a sense of peace in your life. St. Augustine arguably might have said it best in the beginning of his uh, seminal work, Confessions. He says this, he says, Lord God, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I think the author of Hebrews knew this before Augustine because he or she is encouraging people to live a meaningful life with confidence and assurance of these things that are hoped for and conviction of these things that are not seen. He's encouraging people to live a confident life of faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and telling us that it is efficacious for you today, even as you continue to write your own story. For the author of Hebrews, God's rest, God's divine rest is the constant that spans history, that spans time, that spans all stories, from Abel to Enoch, from Noah to Abraham, from Moses to each and every one of us sitting here today. Here's how I visualize it in my head. Can you throw up that first picture? If there is a line that spans across eternity, then we'll call this line God's rest. And our lives are these little glimpses, little glimpses on the timeline. Uh, and the next, uh, the next slide. So. Throughout our life, we have these moments, these encounters with God where we're on, we call them, I've heard them call, uh, referred to as mountaintop experiences, where we get to experience that rest, that peace, that, that meaning, that purpose in our lives. And then oftentimes we get back right down to the grit and the grind. But the incarnation of Jesus Christ looks like this to the author of Hebrews. That was the moment where the entire paradigm was flipped on its head and God's rest dipped down into the world and took on flesh and helped to bring us up into that rest, into that eternal peace. It was in the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming flesh, that the box, our common point of reference as human beings, revealed itself for what it truly is that which is invisible, the things not seen, became tangible, became human. In Christ, the faith of Moses and the faith that we have today spans the chasm of time. And it is the power of storytelling 
that helps to continually remind each and every one of us of our interconnectedness one to another. Storytelling is an art. It requires interpretation of facts. It requires imagination, creativity. It requires wisdom, what to include, what not to include. Very pragmatically speaking, storytelling requires practice. It, you don't become a great storyteller, just wake up one day like, oh, it's like this story. But like, everyone knows that you've got those same story you tell over and over, and you get better at telling it each time. Storytelling requires hindsight, but I think above all, storytelling also requires courage. At UBC, every week, except for this week because we were including new people, we invite people to stand up and share their story, their testimony of the way that God has been working in their life. And at UBC, we encourage people to state publicly the parts of their lives that other people tell us should be kept private. Things like our sexuality, for example, what the world calls taboo, not appropriate table talk, we embrace because God dipped into this world and showed that God also wants to embrace the created order. And so through storytelling, we get to embrace all aspects of our life and our common human identity. We share them one with another. Our, our mental health, our political views, our racial imagination and construct, these things are a part of our stories but so too is Jesus Christ. And therefore, when we tell our stories with courage, we witness to the world that for us, our box has very, very large boundaries. Because after all, our box overcame the, great, the greatest boundary of all, death on the cross. So I ask you, how do you tell your story? Do you tell it chronologically? Or through fabricated reality like Hugh Gallagher? Do you tell of the ways that you woo women or men with your sensuous and godlike trombone playing? <laughs> or do you tell it chronologically? Do you, and if so, where do you begin? The day of your birth? Ten months before that? Or in the beginning when God spoke and created all that is today? Or do you tell your story by recounting life's major events? Friends, the day that I met my wife, Katie, my world was changed forever. And so it's very hard for me to tell my story without including her. Or do you tell it through the lens of a constant in your life? A theme, a word, a smell, a feeling, a companion. What is that constant for you? What is that thing that narratively gives your life meaning? Friends, life is uncertain, but life is exciting. And no two stories, like a beautiful snowflake, no two stories are the same. So they're already out of the box. But I ask you, what is your box? Let me wrap all this up. You're the author of your own story. You know that. But your story is connected to mine. So the constant thread in our lives, the reference point, the box, the thing that connects all of us one to another, shared our common humanity. Hebrews 11.32, which is the passage that comes, passage that comes right after, uh, the author says this, What more should I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of, Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and of the prophets. 
Friends, when I tell my story, I feel like this. What more can I say? I don't have enough time in the world to tell you of the faith of Ignatius of Loyola, of Mother Teresa, of St. Anthony the Aesthetic, or of St. Clair, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't have enough time in the world to tell you of Ed Whipple, person you guys will never meet, but who changed my life forever. I will never have enough time in the world to tell you of the generosity of my parents who put up with me for as long as they have. I'll never be able to fully share with you the story of my grandmother with Alzheimer's who has no clue who I am, but still remembers bits of scripture and reads them back to me when I go to visit her. I'll never be able to tell you fully of the experience I had with Eddie, a 56-year-old alcoholic who's two years sober as of yesterday. But I can tell you about Christ. And I can tell you about the ways that I've seen Christ working in all of their life, all of their lives. And friends, that is a story worth sharing. Amen? Amen. Amen. For what it's worth, Hugh Gallagher was accepted to NYU. <laughs> <laughs>